Okay, so we are in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, the first six verses here. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this, this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you um, just for all that you're doing within our body, Lord. We ask that as we uh, transition in Ephesians, Lord, you would help us to, to keep in our minds all that you have done for us. We thank you that through Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, that we can enter into a relationship with you uh, by your grace alone, not because of our works, uh, but through faith we uh, experience you. And so, Father, we are deeply grateful that through his work on the cross that this huge net has been cast to the world from every sort of ethnic background, every uh, financial level Regardless of where we have come from, once we come to faith in Christ, we become family with one another, and that there is no distinction, there is no uh, individual that is greater than others, but that we come to you as children who are loved by our Father, and this is an overwhelming thing to consider. And so, Father, as we uh, turn the page in Ephesians and we look at um, how we are to live out our lives, we pray that you would help us to recognize that these instructions are grounded in the truth uh, that Jesus has paid it all for us. Um, this isn't a recipe for us to get right with you. Uh, these are instructions for us because we are right with you, because of what Jesus has done. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you would help us um, just to fall more and more in love with you and that our, the desire of our heart would be to walk with you uh, each day and every day of our life. And it's in Christ's good name, I pray. Amen. All right, so Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And Father, we do, again, just thank you uh, for this day. Uh, we pray that you would lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So on the Wednesday night study, uh, a group of guys, we've been going through Gene Getz's book, The Measure of a Man. And this Wednesday, there was a line in, in, this, uh, in this chapter sort of dealing with... Uh, holiness and, or, or lifestyle of how, or devotion of how we're to live our lives. Uh, Gene Getz wrote a line in there that said, uh, for example, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul outlined our position in Christ. And so this is what we've covered so far in the book of Ephesians. Sort of Paul has given great doctrinal truths about who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, and all of these wonderful things. He's prayed for us a number of times. But now we transition, and back to the quote of Gene Getz, he continues, and he says, in the last three chapters of Ephesians, 
he instructed us to become like Christ. And so we enter in this new section of Ephesians. From here until the end of Ephesians, it gets very, very practical. The, the what do we do with our lives now that we have received Christ as Savior? How, are, how should this affect us day in and day out? Uh, we, we've studied doctrine, and now we move into the devotion of our lives, this, this practice. Uh, now that we have this vertical relationship with God, it should affect our horizontal lives, how we uh, move and interact with one another uh, in the church, in our families, in our workplace. Everywhere we go, God uh, invades our life through Christ. If we've been bought uh, by Christ, he owns us, and he desires us to sort of live out our lives in a certain way. Uh, I believe that this is sort of the... Uh, the resistance to the gospel in a lot of uh, in a lot of ways. I know that I was sort of uh, guilty of this before I came to Christ, that I didn't want to come to Christ because I enjoyed how I was living my life. And I believe that if I came to Christ, then there would be sort of conditions on how I had to live my life. And I think that there, there there's some tr- there's some a lot of truth to that. Um, and so now Paul gets to this place. He says, "Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord." And so we know that Paul finds himself under arrest. He is in Rome. He pens the prison epistles. There are four of them. Ephesians is one. As he literally is in prison, he's written these great truths, these great doctrines about Jesus and what he's accomplished uh, in our lives and for us. And because of all of this, therefore, he implores us, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And this, uh, this, this intro, it's almost identical to the beginning of Romans 12.1. Paul uses the same sort of language. He has this, this first half in Romans that's all about doctrine. And then you get to chapter 12, and suddenly, because of this doctrine, it should affect how we live our lives. And so he implores us. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So here he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. So he says, therefore, in light of all that Christ has done for you, I'm pleading with you that your lives would sort of reflect what Christ has done for you. He says to walk. Uh, it's not like a, a, a takeout in a sprint. This is a, you know, kind of speaks of this consistency about how your lives go day to day. I think it was Eugene Peterson that wrote a book. I can't remember reading the book, but I remember the title. Um, and the title was really good. And the title of the book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I think that that sort of encapsulates what Paul is encouraging those of us who have accepted Christ as Savior to do, that we would have this long obedience in the same direction, that we would just little by little walk faithfully with Jesus day by day, that there would be consistency in our lives, not perfection, uh, for in this life it will be impossible to maintain perfection. We, we long for perfection. We yearn for the day when we can stand before Christ in our new bodies, free of sin, uh, free of that temptation, free of the desire that leads us away from God. 
But in this life, by his spirit, we sort of long for this. We press on. We seek to honor him in our lives. Uh, this, this, this word to, to walk in a manner worthy is a word where we get axiom from. It's axius, and it's sort of the, the idea to, to weigh something so of, of equal weight. If you have something on one side, the other side should measure out so it's, it's balanced, so that there's an equal weight. In mathematics, this is if, oh, see, I, I was about to spit some geometry or algebra or something, but I really did a terrible job. I should have, you know, like x plus 1 equals 3, then x has to equal 2, right? Axiom, it's a, it's a balance. Did I do that right? I was like, I, I, I'm not written down, okay. I made the public school comment last week, so I'm not, I can't take two in a row with Melanie, so I'm, I'm out. <laughs> um, but so in, in this situation, what he's saying is, is the balance. On the, on the one side, Jesus being God came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He was our example. He set forth perfection. He fulfilled the law. He being perfect, not guilty of anything, went to the cross and on the cross, the weight of God and the wrath of God came down upon him, and he absorbed it in full. He suffered and he died for our sins because he loves us. And so that's on one side of the spectrum. And Paul said, in light of this, that's the, that's the counterbalance. And the reality is that we all know that there's no way that we can equal this. Like It's in like, this is one of those things that what he did, I could stand on the other end of the teeter-totter and jump up and down with all my weight. I can have all my buddies come, and there's nothing that I can do to really equal that out. It's the reality, right? This is like, uh, on Wednesday night, we had this super good conversation. I really appreciated the transparency of the guys in there. And, and it's just sort of like, we know if we're honest with ourselves, we know this truth. And we know that in light of this truth, and we should be sort of all in, and we should be all this way, but we recognize the sinfulness of our heart, even as Christians, and that we're not. But we, we can't just sort of give up knowing that we're, we're these human beings that are saved, and within us is this desire to, to do that what God has asked us to do, but the reality of our flesh is that we so often miss the mark. But that doesn't mean that, that Paul like excuses us and that we should just sort of like say, ah, forget it. I'm just going to go on. No, what Paul does is he's like, I plead with you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Jesus died for me. He gave it all for me. Like, I owe him everything. That old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. This is sort of the... This isn't, I'm going to give him everything. I'm going to do this so that I might get right with God. It's like, no, I'm right with God because of what he did. And I want to live my life in a way that's honoring to what he has done for me. In that verse, Romans 12, 1, where Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies living and a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I like that in New King James Version, it says, what is your, your reasonable act of service? In light of what Jesus did for you, 
it's reasonable that you would offer your life to him. So Swindoll says, walk in a way that balances your calling. And so he's, he is pleading with us. Uh, this is sort of the introductory verse to this new section, and he's going to unpack this for the rest of Ephesians. But right now, I think he's just trying to get it into our minds. He's trying to sell us on a point that, yes, I'm all in. You have me, Lord. I understand what you've done for me. It's reasonable that I give my life to you, that I walk in a manner worthy of that which you have called me to. And he goes on to verse 2. And in verse 2, there's five words that we could spend a lot of time on. And he says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another and love. So he's pleading, he's imploring us to walk, to live our lives in such a way that we're worthy of the calling. And he says the way that we do this, he's going to begin with sort of this this attitude or this mindset within us. I'm not even sure, like like certainly some of these things manifest themselves practically, but I think he's getting into like the inward side of who we are. And so these five words sort of describing how he wants us to live out our lives. Ultimately, where I think he's going in this passage is pushing for unity within the body of Christ. So he's, he's dealing with relationships that we have with one another within the household of God. And he says, with humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and love. And so there's a, there's a lot of these that we, I think we could devote the whole day to. I mean, like, like the one that's jumping out to me is patience. Uh, some translations go with long-suffering, which I think is probably a better translation for patience because it's like we're, we're called to live this way. But let's start with humility because that's what list, is listed first. So as we're to, 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 to offer our lives to God, to to. to to live out in a way that's uh, pleasing to God in light of what he has done for us, he begins with, with, with humility. And so it's this idea like within our hearts that we place Christ first. Next to Christ, we put others second. And then, then ourself, it's, it's, we're the last place. Like we think of ourselves last. Like we want to put Christ's thoughts first. And then we want to put others in that second place, that they are uh, greater than ourselves, that we want to honor others. And then for us, that we think of ourselves sort of last. And our culture does it the other way around, right? It's numero uno, like that I'm in first place. And everything that I do is about how it affects me. How do I think about it? How do I want it? And everything will follow into suit with that, and I'll, I will fracture relationships I will sacrifice just about everything in order to please myself. That's what our culture says. In the Roman world, during the time that Paul wrote this word, humility, it was a word that was despised in their culture. This was not something that was valued. Um, 
Today you can read books and buy books about leadership and, and servant leadership and being humble and this. And our culture in a lot of ways, I, I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but if you read sort of books on leadership, you will find resources out there that make a case for uh, humility. But during their day, th- th- this didn't exist. This, this idea of humility uh, conveyed with it the sort of the mentality of a slave, that this is the way that a slave behaved. This wasn't the way for a Roman citizen to behave. But for those of us who are in Christ, our citizenship is found in heaven, and the thinking of our new uh, residency or future residency is different. Our king valued and displayed humility. It was in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus talks about his yoke being easy to carry. If you're heavy laden and burdened, come to him. But in that, in that section that's well known, Jesus describes himself as being gentle and humble in heart. Here, here the king of the universe, the creator, the sustainer, the one who spoke creation into existence, he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. So if you want to know what I'm like, Jesus saying this, He says, I'm gentle, I'm humble. This is the example I said. If you move on towards the end of his life, the very last night that he was on earth in John 13, this great scene, these four chapters of the Lord's Supper that the apostle John records for us, this scene started with nobody else in the room except for the disciples and Jesus. He'd spent three years with them trying to train them and equip them. He asked them to get a room that they could meet and gather and celebrate the the Passover meal. And so they go into this room, and because they'd cleared it out, there was no servant, there was no helper, there was nobody else there. But they all had dirty feet. And in that culture, before you ate a meal, you would have like you would sit down on the floor, but the feet would get washed beforehand. And it's this whole scene. And I, like, there's so much of the Bible that I wish we had a video of to like, and I can just see Jesus like looking around at the 12 going, huh, I've spent years teaching them. On Saturday morning on the men's Bible study, we've been going through Mark and it's like over and over and over again. The disciples say, I want to be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus says, that's great. If you want to be the greatest, be the least. The last will be first. The first will be last. And so now we have this great test. It's like graduation day. Things are about to change. And Jesus is looking around and going, okay, will Peter do it? I don't see Peter moving. I don't see John moving. I don't see any of these guys moving. Is somebody, one of them, is one of them going to get up and wash the feet of the others? And it like breaks my heart to think of this scene that Jesus is like looking around at these guys who he has has equipped to prepare to be the future leaders of this future organization, the church, where humility would be so important and not one of them budges to say, I'll do it. And so Jesus gets up. He gets the pan. He gets the towels. He takes off his clothes so that he can get to work on their feet. 
And they all sort of push back and say, no, 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 Jesus, you don't do this. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Like, unless you do this, unless you're washed by me, like, you have no part of this. You guys are missing the whole thing. And so the example that he set for them as he was about to go to the cross, he washes all of their feet, including who? Judas. Judas is going to go sell out Jesus with freshly washed feet that Jesus just cleaned. Paul would write in Philippians 2.5 this, this great passage about who Christ is. It speaks of Christ being God and that he, he stepped out of heaven to become man and that he would go to this shameful death on the cross. And this, this, this picture that says that this act of servitude that Jesus demonstrated, that, that ultimately one day every knee will bow with the name of Jesus, It's this great passage, but sort of the key verse in this is verse five, where Paul writes, have this attitude in yourselves, that our example is Jesus, Jesus being God, Jesus being the creator of the universe and the world speaking us into existence, and that he being creator stepped to earth, took on the form of a man, lived his life in this humble way, ultimately exited this world through the most horrific and shameful death as a penalty for our sins, the the ultimate act of humility. And Paul says, this is the attitude that we as Christ's followers need to have in our hearts. He moves on from humility to gentleness. Gentleness is this idea for having strength, but it being under control. It was a word that was used to describe the, the breaking of a green horse where a broken horse is not actually broken. It just means they're trained. I don't know where they come up with these words for her. I'll talk to Debbie later to figure this out. But, but a broken horse, am I getting it right? Well, I know I saw Debbie, right? I, she's normally right here. She's in Sunday school. I see her dad. I'm like, Debbie's not right there. Like, uh, then I'll talk to her later. But it's like when you see these horses that are, that are under so much control and they're so powerful, a couple years ago, we found ourselves in Spain, in uh, Jerez, where Anna grew up in southern Spain. And one of the things that I like going to is they have the big, the Andalusian horses. And, and, uh, and so they go to the show. And the first time I went there, Anna made fun of me. And see, when I go to things like this, I get emotional. Like, so the lights went down and the horses are about to come out. And I'm like doing everything I can do, like to not let the teardrop fall. Like, and I've got the, like the little bit of like, you know, like I'm trying to hold it together. And she looks over me and she's like, are you crying? And I'm like, this is, this guy Juan, you know, we have a friend named Juan and his dad was named Juan. So there's a little kid when we were there, but so like, but it's like when Juan was a little boy, his dad rode these horses. His grandfather rode these horses. Everybody rode these horses. And you see these horses, these, these, these horses that were literally bred for combat. And the show they're doing is, is really a demonstration of, a, of an animal for war. And then they're going through the thing. And the thing that was like the coolest thing to me is when something went wrong. 
So they had the little carts out. There's probably, I don't know, like the little buggies, I think, you know, and they're kind of cruising around, going really fast, doing donuts in the ring. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of the young riders in training jump out of the stands, run down to the ring, and it's like, what is happening? And then I realized that what was happening is they got so tight that one of the reins or something totally wrapped around one of these horse's legs. And it's like, this is going to be dangerous. Like, I'm thinking this is going to be super dangerous. And the guy gets down there and the horse just stops and like lifts up his leg. The guy gets all up in his business, gets the rope out, and then the show goes on. And it was amazing to me. Not because everything went right, because in the midst of everything going wrong, this is when a horse would freak out and somebody's going to get really, really hurt. That that in the midst of all of this, you see the training, both of the riders and this, this horse, that in the midst of his power, he demonstrates this gentleness, holding back all of his energy, and he stays calm. It's, it's beautiful. And so I get emotional at these things because it's like that just doesn't happen overnight. And so we're told to have this sort of this, this gentleness, not to mean that you don't have in your in your realm, that you might be a strong person, you might have power, you might have resources. But as Christ's followers, we're asked to demonstrate gentleness from within. Because that is the posture of our Lord Jesus. Jesus demonstrated humility. He demonstrated gentleness. This is the same God that Revelation is, tells us will come on the great white horse with a sword in his mouth and that justice will be coming. Everything that happened to Jesus, it happened because he allowed it to happen. That, that whole scene with Pilate, when Pilate's like, will you help me out? Don't you know who I am? I'm trying to get you off of this, Jesus. They clearly want you executed and Jesus just sort of looks at him with a smile. I don't think the Bible says a smile, but in my eyes, I see a little like twinkle in Jesus's eye and a little smirk like, hey, Pilate, don't you know who I am? Like if I want to get out of this, I'd have a ton of angels come down and just get me out. This is only happening because I'm allowing it to happen. And I could just see Pilate going, this guy's nuts, you know, like what is happening? But this is gentleness. He's Jesus did not have to go to the cross. For three years, they were trying to arrest him. He only got arrested because he said, okay, it's the hour, it's time. And he allowed it to happen. And so we are to walk in this way, humility, gentleness. The Bible doesn't tell us to to wear T-shirts advertising who we are, to put bumper stickers on our car, uh, like that our lives are to re- reflect, and I'm not saying those things are bad. I just, you know, you put them on your car, you're just, I've seen drivers in Valley Center. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that, uh, um, but, there, but what he's kind of saying is like, your life will likely be the only Bible that many of the people that you interact with will ever read. And so that your life should reflect who Jesus is. He goes on to the one that none of us want to pray for, patience. Lord, give me patience. Okay, well, I'm going to give you a lot of frustration so you get good at dealing with stuff. Like this, this is a word that literally means to, to suffer long. 
that, that under the pressure of whatever you're going through, that you can just remain consistent and steady regardless of what you're feeling on the inside. Guzik says, we need this patience so that the inevitable wrongs that occur between people in God's family will not work against God's purpose. That's one that we want to highlight. The inevitable wrongs that occur between people in God's family. That means it's inevitable that I am going to miss the mark with you. It's inevitable that you are going to miss the mark with me. It's inevitable that you and you are going to miss the mark. I'm just randomly pointing that that there's going to be friction. Like we are saved sinners. We are not perfect. We are going to do things that irritate one another. Just like within a family. (sighs) That was an amen. (laughs) That's a... And so that was epic. I mean, hopefully it was dealing with the sermon or not, you know, watching a good TV show back there. But it's, but we, we are going to have to have patience with one another, not for the sake of having patience f- for one another, but for the, the, the purpose of where this passage is going is that the unity within the body of Christ matters because that is a testimony to the world that the testimony of Jesus is true. And we'll look at that in a few minutes. And so we need to demonstrate patience. There are people who are going to drive you nuts within the church. Jesus was patient with me, and so therefore I need to be patient with you. I didn't point it. I kind of pointed it up there. I was like, just to be clear. And, And you, the same thing. And we do this because we want to honor God with our lives. We want that axiom, that the balance, Jesus died for my sins. So therefore, whatever anybody else in this room could possibly do to me that would cause me frustration is not worse than what I did to Jesus. And so therefore, I can let whatever wrong that you do be like water on a duck's back and just flow off of me. Uh, tolerance. So this has to do with the exhortation to be a peacemaker within the body of Christ. And so really this whole, this, this, this patience, tolerance, they all sort of like flow off of one another and are, are building to a, to a greater point. But I think this idea of tolerance or being a peacemaker is this sort of conviction that as I go about my day, how am I using my words? How am I using my actions? I see it often. One person does something nice. Other person says, hmm, that's kind of lame. It's like, hey, like, come on. Like, they're trying to do this. Be nice. Play, play nice to one, with one another. Um, that, that we want to be people that are making peace within the body of Christ. And the ultimately sort of the capstone here is in love. For with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another and love. And if you have love for one another, these other things will be much easier because if you actually love one another, it's so much easier to sort of excuse wrongs that have been done against us. Um, when, I, when I look at all of these things, like humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, like 
like where I've seen God like cultivate these things in my own life um, is with children, like my children. And like, obviously, like a spouse, but there's something even different about a child than there is a spouse. And I think the thing with our kids, how we can ultimately have this like impact or these, this humility with them, the gentleness with them, the patience with them, the tolerance or, or being a peacemaker with them is because of a profound love that we have for them. And like that for one another, that we're supposed to actually have a profound love for, for one another within the body of Christ. And if we actually love one another, it's so much easier to have a humble spirit, to be gentle with one another, to be patient with one another, to be a peacemaker with one another. Charles Spurgeon said, we want unity in the truth of God through the spirit of God. This let us seek after. Let us live near to Christ. For this is the best way of promoting unity. Division in churches never begin with those full of love to the Savior. And so where Paul ultimately is going in verse 3 is we're talking about unity. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Um, that word diligent, that's a word that really stands out to me. Like this diligence is something that like you really work for, that you're, you're very intentional, that you're thinking about. It's at the forefront of your thinking. And, and when, I, when I read this, I don't, I, I'm not sure that the command that I see there is necessarily like at the forefront of my thinking all the time. That when I interact with others, especially within the body of Christ, because this whole letter is dealing to those within the church, is at the forefront of my thinking like, Gunnar, how can I be diligent to preserve the unity of spirit that exists here? It doesn't say to create it. The default is that there would be unity. And so it's kind of like, Gunnar, okay, let's not like mess up the unity that's already here. Let's strive to creating unity. Let's, let's preserve that which God has created. If we have a relationship and peace with him and we're in union with him, then we will have union with his bride. This is Jesus's prayer. After he washes the feet, the story of John 13, it kind of unfolds. You get to chapter 14, 15, 16, and then 17. At 17, they're about to leave the Lord's Supper to go down to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would be ultimately arrested. And he prays this high priestly prayer. And in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 21, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says this, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So I'm not just praying for the disciples that are there. I'm praying for those who would come to faith in me down the road because of these guys. That's us, guys. Like we ultimately have come to faith in Christ if you believe because of the work of the apostles that Jesus commissioned. And so Jesus is saying, I pray for this future church, these future believers that would include us, that we or they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, 
So this intimacy of relationship between the Father and Son, between the, 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 the Father and Jesus, that they also would be in us, that we would be unified with them through the cross so that the world may believe that you sent me. So our being in unity, being at peace with one another, this speaks volumes to the world about who Jesus is. So being diligent to preserve the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. So this whole, this whole idea of an adhesive that, that holds something together, this, 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 this bond of peace, that we are at peace with God, and because we're at peace with God, we can be at peace with one another. We recognize what Jesus has done for each one of us, and so therefore, when you wrong me, then I can be at peace because I recognize I too have, have wronged others and I likely have wronged the person that's now irritating me. Uh, and so I can be humble. I can be gentle. I, I want to move towards having peace. So this, this, this bond is like super, super strong. Um, my kids love the story of my buddy Jeremy when I was in high school. I was actually eighth grade. Jeremy came over. Jeremy came, Jeremy came over to go surfing in the morning. So he spent the night. We were going to go out early, early in the morning. And I hadn't quite like learned about what super glue was. After this, I learned that it was designed for medical reasons, that it was designed for skin. And so I'm not quite sure what I was thinking. I mean, it was an eighth-grade gunner, so you can only imagine that I probably wasn't thinking that much. But I just saw a target of opportunity, and I, like, I saw something, I had something, and I went. Um, that was like the th- and so my buddy Jeremy like, put his feet together like this, and I had a tube of superglue. So what is, what's a logical 14-year-old boy going to do? Squirt the whole tube on his feet. Boy, does that stuff work quick. Like I was like... <laughs> I was shocked, and Jeremy's looking at me like, I can't get my feet apart. I'm like, shut up, get your feet, like, just pull them apart. And he's like, I can't. Like, I, I can't. And I'm like, well, let me try to get in there. So I got in there, and I put a foot, and I was like, and I just remember seeing his feet, like, you know, like, when you see those movies when somebody puts their tongue on the pole, and it, it's frozen, and it like, and I'm like, and he looks at me, he's like, go get a steak knife. And I'm like, okay, so there's Gunner, like, sneaking into the kitchen, my dad's like asleep on the couch, and he's like, he hears the door. What are you doing? I just need a steak knife. Don't worry. He's like, okay, you know. So Jeremy saw his feet apart. He was so mad in the morning because he's kind of walking with a limp because there was more skin on one side and not any on the other side. And uh, so why was I telling the story? <laughs> the bond of peace. So it's like so strong, like, <clears throat> like. Like, diligent to preserve the unity. Like, we need to be really committed, you know, like super glued to one another to be united, that this needs to be a priority for us amongst, like, even above ourselves, that we are committed to maintaining the peace and the unity within the body of Christ, even if it comes at a cost to you. You know, like, this is, that's moving along here, verse 4. Okay, there is one body. The kids don't try that at home. I uh, a little disclaimer, my, especially my boys. Uh, hopefully they're at Sunday school today. Sometimes they're in class. And, um, there is one body, 
one spirit, just as you were called in, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of, of all who is over all and through all. So there's six ones here, body, spirit, hope, faith, baptism, and God, who is the Father over all and through all. And what he's trying to state here is like the unity. And it's very easy for us as you come to faith in Christ and you begin to study the Bible, which you should be reading the Bible, as you begin to piece together the things that, that, um, you know, that, that God has shared in his word. Like it's, it's, it's very normal for you to come and to understand something that another person might not see the same way. And it's really funny when you start walking with the Lord long enough that the person that you begin to disagree with is yourself. Like, you know, I save my notes, and when I go back, and I'm like, oh, man, I said that? Like, I don't think that anymore. Like, I can't, I, that, that you see as you mature and as you grow, like, sometimes your position adjusts, and, uh, you know, as you just get a better understanding of who God is. But there, there are other times, there are men and women who love the Lord, who've been walking with the Lord for decades. And there are points within the Scripture that they don't see the same. And when we come to these sort of situations, we need to understand there's right-hand things. Right-hand things are things that we like, we absolutely stand on. That the, There are things that we have to divide upon. There, there, are, there are absolute truths that there is not room for compromise. Like, for example, Jesus is Lord. He was born of a virgin. He was sinless. He died for our sins. We are, we are justified before God by grace alone. There, there are things that are absolute distinctives that you cannot compromise on. Then there are other things over here like I'm really convicted that I shouldn't have a credit card. I'm really convicted that I shouldn't drink alcohol. I'm really convicted that I like this kind of music. I'm really convicted that this particular translation of the Bible I think is the 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 best one. There's there's like a ton of things that fall into this category. And the problem is, is when we start moving things from the left hand, things that you, that God like very well has, could give you conviction that he's using in your life, in your life, that we begin to move these things over into the right hand. And then we start fighting over these secondary issues. That is wrong. And that I think is what Paul is getting at. There's, there's one body of Christ. There's the, uh, the, the larger body of all Christians around the world at any given time is the church. That's the body of Christ. Now, we have a local church, but we're connected to the other people in our community, in our town, in our nation, who've come to faith in Christ 
They believe in him. They've received salvation by grace. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They might worship differently than us. They might have some differing views than we have. But at the end of the day, we are one body. We're connected by one spirit. We share in the same baptism. We share in the same Lord. And there's unity. And I think that he's, he's pressing us in this direction to recognize that it's bigger than just us in your own little convictions. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And there's the body, which is the bride of Christ, our church, all of the local churches that stand on Jesus as Lord are part of this body. We're connected through one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. So pushing us towards unity in the faith. So what do we do with this? In these opening verses, Paul is pleading for us to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. And I think for doing this, we need to first have a right understanding of what Jesus has done for for us. That our relationship with God is because of what Jesus has done for us, not because of anything that we've done. Uh, during COVID, I stumbled upon that one quote from a blog or whatever. He said that, that the only thing that we bring to the table concerning our salvation is our sin. Jesus has done it all. He has provided salvation for us completely by his grace, not because of your worthiness. And we receive this through faith. And so once we have that first building block in place in our lives, Then we build from that, that we should long to see the fruit of the Spirit uh, filling our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Just in this passage, uh, humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, love. Many of these are the fruit of the Spirit. That as the Spirit of God takes residence in our hearts, we begin to change and we become like Him. And as we walk with Him, how we think how we respond to circumstances is so much different than who we were before, even though that old man leaves a residue within us in this life presently. And if we do this, if we seek the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we will be people who who contribute towards the unity of the body of Christ, not bringing division. And then how do we promote this? I think fellowship is super important. Fellowship is, is when people who have given their lives to Christ, who are brothers and sisters in Christ, gather. So like donut Sundays aren't about the donuts. He's mad. I know I may eat. I won't make you eat a donut today. Like he, he I can just, I can fill him. Like I'm not eating a donut. I'm not, you don't have to eat a donut. It's not about the donuts. It's about just hanging out back there. It, it's about spending time with one another. This is what like dinner eights, like gathering in smaller groups so that you get to know the people who are a part of the church. This is what summer nights is about, that we gather together as a family and we have fun and we celebrate, we, we eat and we fellowship. We just get to know each other. Because through this, genuine love is developed. And then when somebody who you love wrongs you or you perceive that they wrong you, it's so much easier to work through that because there's love there. 
If there's no love there, there's no reason to work through there. But if you love God and you know that God loves you, that person who wronged you is a child of God whom God loved, whom Christ died for, and he wants us to be at peace with one another. And if there's love there, it changes our heart about how we go about this, that we actually want to work through this and develop love and care and mutual sort of understanding amongst one another. The second part, I think, is renewing our minds. This is why we teach the Bible, that we, we go through a book of the Bible at a time. We encourage you to be in the Word because as you take in the Word of God, God begins to impact you and change you and mold you into his likeness. And then finally, I think that the third component of this moving into Christian life is service, is participating and giving of yourself. Um, there's giving financially, but there's giving of yourself and, and participating and, and doing things like um, like weed whacking at the church and other things, you know, like uh, just doing stuff. If you see something, if you serve, as we serve and we contribute, we recognize that, you know what? I see this, whatever the thing is, I want to be a blessing to others. And so I'm going to take this action of proverbial, proverbially, 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 is that a word? Does it sound good enough? Okay, we'll, we'll make it one if it's not. To wash the feet of one another by, by like serving one another. We're not actually like, I'm not asking us to wash each, wash each other's feet. But there are things like, like I saw Glenn in the bathroom today. Not, I mean, sorry, that sounds really bad. <laughs> in the restroom, he was in there wiping the counters of the water. Like I wasn't, like, you guys in your mind. But I'm like, I'm like, man, I thought I was the only one that cleaned the counters off. But there Glenn is like wiping off the counters. Not because he cares about the, but he's like, you know, I want to be hospitable to the next person that comes in the bathroom and wants a dry countertop to set his Bible on or whatever. Like, Sorry, Glenn, I didn't mean... Glenn goes to the bathroom. We all go to the bathroom. I didn't like... (laughs) But like we we want to have this attitude of service because as we serve, it's like an opportunity like, Lord, I'm doing this for you. And he works through our serving. So we we fellowship, we study, and we serve. Those to me seem to be the the three main prongs of how we uh, honor God with our lives. And so, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We, we thank you for laughter and, and fellowship. I, we thank you, Lord, that this all really comes through what Christ has provided on the cross for us. Father, I pray that you would help us to draw closer to Jesus, um, that he would fill more of our lives, and that ultimately the fruit of the Spirit would manifest itself in our lives, that we would be gentle, loving, humble people, Lord, that would honor you, that we would be people who are peacemakers, and that ultimately we would honor you with our lives. You have done so much for us, Lord, and we love you. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.